Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door. Uh, We hope you are staying safe and using this time uh, to the best of your possible ability. And how are you doing today, Dr. Woodward? Oh, I'm social distancing a bit, but uh, having a great time working on a lot of media outreach. We're pretty excited about the new doors that are opening up for us. I think that you have uh, seen a little bit of that in participating in a C.S. Lewis course that I was just uh, able to teach. I hope you enjoyed the course. You did very well, by the way. Congrats. Oh, yeah, that was an awesome course. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, the name kind of gives it away, C.S. Lewis and the Compelling Case for Christianity, and and that's what really our program is all about. I mean, from week to week, we try to break out into different areas of science and uh, theology, and we go into history, including archaeology, and of course, even philosophy is not out of bounds. I uh, was able to take a course on Nietzsche under the number one expert you know, in the world on Nietzsche at that time, Walter Kaufman at Princeton, and so I, I kind of love to critique and engage with uh, skeptical philosophies, but ultimately it comes down to Christ and why we believe and receive him and then live for him and bear fruit. As it says in the book of John, uh, Jesus has joined us as branches in the vine through uh, the amazing gift of salvation, and then we can bear fruit. So that's our prayer, is that during this strange time, of the coronavirus that we can all, uh, in the network of the C.S. Lewis Society, bear fruit. And that includes presenting the case of Christ to a watching world. So, and let me just ask, how are you doing, my brother? Uh, It's great to have you running our program, as always. Oh, I'm doing well, and, you know, I'm just thinking that's that's a good point, and this is a really good time uh, to be sharing the gospel, especially through the Internet and in means such as that because there's so many people tuning in and listening to to different programs that they may not have had time for uh, Mm -hmm. in the past yes and of course on our c.s lewis society webpage, which uh you and i have worked on so hard these last several months but uh we're we're pretty amazed at, at the response we're getting hundreds and hundreds of people are sending us like kudos and kind of you know a little bit of a shout out here and there because we're providing short snippets. I, I call them like um, nuggets of truth, facts. I call them God facts, and we could also call them, you know, Jesus Christ facts, because these facts from from the study of the universe, from a careful study of even Old Testament prophecies, the study of DNA, the study of even Lewis's writings in the area of infections and quarantine, you can see a tremendous pop of truth that just like strikes you it's like a shock it's like a you know an eruption of truth and and so i think what i'd like to talk about today is how how sometimes these disruptions of our regular you know workaday schedules and activities and our relationships these disruptions and interruptions can become eruptions like a volcano of truth you know just spreading out instead of lava this is the good news of christ 
And so I, I think that maybe God is calling us to all just have that kind of sharing, that, that going forth, that eruption uh, that is uh, sometimes we just need a trigger. We need that you know, interruption can sometimes be an opportunity uh, for the truth to, to beam forth. Now, um, I think that you, my brother Nick Shauna, are familiar with the book of Luke and some of the amazing truths that are recorded by Luke the historian. The, you, know, you might say he's a physician, a medical doctor, and historian fused into one amazing scholar, writer of the New Testament. And uh, do you enjoy the story of the man who is brought on a pallet by his four friends and is let down through the roof in Luke 5? Do you like that story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so um, now let me ask you, um, does Jesus hint in that story that he might be more than a mere man? How, the, how, how might he, we see him hinting of the truth, the awesome, amazing fact of who he was? In, uh, yeah, he, he forgives sins, which is uh, much more difficult than even hailing somebody because only God uh, could have the authority to do such a thing, and the Jewish people would have easily understood that. Guess what, my brother? You get an A+. Plus. <laughs> and I didn't even set you up for it. Yeah. Okay, I'll, write, I'll make sure I record that in, the, in, the, in, the, in your point column. But no, I, what, what I was going to say is I, I thought I would just begin our discussion of how we are seizing the day, carpe diem. You know, that's kind of the phrase uh, in the Latin that, that has the idea of seizing opportunities that somehow, some way, just present themselves and just kind of pop in front of you. And Jesus was very busy that day in teaching the crowd. It was thick, it was tight, it was you know, standing room only, if you will, in the home. And apparently it was uh, Peter's mother-in-law, because it looks like that as they were ripping off the, the pieces of the roof above where Jesus was standing, can you imagine the chunks of, um, you know, all kinds of plaster and beams and who, who knows what exactly they were using to build roofs in Palestine in the first century, but uh, it was a lot of stuff raining down on the crowd as they were ripping open the roof to, to wedge in the, the four paralyzed friends. And, and it was amazing that when Jesus stopped his speaking, his teaching session, looked up there, and the guys kind of uh, not only were able to fit the man through the hole and wedge him down there in front of Christ. And the comment in Luke chapter 5, which, by the way, C.S. Lewis loved this story. He absolutely loved it. And I'll explain one of the reasons why, because it is in Luke. But um, in the story in Luke chapter 5, the the stoppage, the interruption of Jesus's presentation was seen by him as nothing to get upset about, but as something that was orchestrated by his father, by the God of the universe, for an opportunity like this, when it comes along, when an interruption comes in and just blasts your plans for the day, for the month, for the year, we need to say, like Jesus I'm sure did instantly, Father, this is cool. What do you what do you have in store for me here? And of course, the 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 implicit request was for healing. Obviously, the paralytic had four friends, and it's interesting that Jesus says in the account in Luke. Of course, it's found in Matthew and Mark as well. But in the in the Luke account, it says Jesus seen their faith, the faith of the friends who brought him. So faith, uh, the stimulated. Um, kind of 
faculty we all have to trust in another person. In this case, it was trusting in the power and person of Christ, and that faith in Christ is what ignited the first statement, which is, my son, your sins are forgiven. And, of course, immediately a secondary reaction it wasn't as maybe as physically uh, obvious as the, the pieces of the roof falling down as the friends wedged their friends down into that tight crowd. But the second reaction was invisible. It was in the hearts of some of the scribes, some of the Jewish teachers of the law who had come to hear Jesus. And they said, who is this man? How can he claim to forgive the man's sins? It's kind of like if if someone had come up and through carelessness had put a huge dent in your car's hood, okay? This actually happened to me once. A guy came up and just sat on the hood of my car. I was inside the church. We were practicing for the music that week, and this friend of mine just sat on the hood, which I just had repaired, and he put a five-inch, no, it was more like a foot-wide dent right in the front of the of wow. my Toyota Corolla. And so when I came out after the practice, I said, what? I had just taken it to the car shop. I just paid over $100 to have the dent that was there taken out, and there's the dent again. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, I'll just call him John. Uh, yeah, John just came, and he thought he would just sit on something, and he didn't have a, a chair, so he just hoisted himself up, sat on your car, and it went boom. It uh, collapsed. I said, oh. So now, now if, Nick, you were there, and if you had come over to me and put your hand on my shoulder, because, of course, we didn't, we didn't know each other back then in 1974. No, not but, quite uh, yet. Yeah, you were probably not. We were not even born in 1974. <laughs> so let's say that you were my buddy in the Air Force. I was an Air Force lieutenant there in Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina. And let's say you came up and put your hand on my shoulder. I was a little bit kind of ticked. And you said, that's okay, Tom. I forgive Lars. I gave him his name away. Anyway, they're the best. They're the they're the best friends ever. They're just awesome, an awesome couple serving the Lord faithfully in South Carolina to this day. And so, at that point, uh, let's say that uh, you you said that to me. I would say, who do you think you are, right? Oh and yeah. You're my friend. You're my friend, McShana. Let's say you know you work at the Air Force Base. Who do you think you are, God? Well, that was the reaction when Jesus forgave this man's whole sin problem kit and caboodle shebang the whole shebang he said i forgive you my son i forgive your sins and the people reacted and then perceiving exactly what was going on the hearts of these teachers notice the teachers of the law are are putting two and two together and they're getting four but it's not the four they were looking for in other words the claim of deity was implicit he says so that you uh no, Jesus immediately said, so do you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? And then he turned to the young man, he said, stand up, take your pallet and walk. And immediately his, his, his uh, you know, body was healed, strengthened, he picked up you know, his little um, pallet, you know, his little uh, carrying uh, you know, the uh, thing that the friends had put him on, uh, and stretcher, whatever you call it, and he, they, they basically watched him walk out in front of them. I mean, can you imagine the shock? Because Jesus had just done visibly in the open uh, the same truth assertion that he had done implicitly by healing the man in his sin problem. 
So the, the healing of the sin could not be observed, but the man's paralysis problem could immediately be observed as it was healed. So I, I would call that a wow. double whammy. I mean, it, it was a, it's an amazing moment in the New Testament. And when people said, you know, well, Jesus is, is just a wise man. Uh, you know, he was just a, a good teacher. And that's where Lewis comes in and says, no, he can't be just a wise teacher. If he is teaching repeatedly about his own persona, his own identification as to who he was, essentially, and keeps saying that he is the one sent by the Father, he's the one who is eternally the I Am, he's the one who will come back and judge the world at the end of time, he's the one, for example, who says in John 8, I am sinless, I do not have a sin issue like the rest of you do, and over and over, in every imaginary, everything that you can imagine that would pertain to the question of whether he was just a mere human or divine, he came down clearly on the side, I am the son of the living God, I am divine. He even accepted worship on several occasions in the, in the New Testament, and that's not just in the book of John, it's in the book of Matthew as well, and in other locations as well. So, I mean, uh, to me, this interruption that we see in Luke chapter 5 is like a symbol, it's like a parallel to the interruption that we're experiencing, many of us, in our jobs, in our families, in our um, even worship uh, mode of whether we gather, you know, individually as a family or we go online through Google or Zoom or whatever platform we're using and enjoy that time of fellowship and teaching until we can get back together. I know here in Florida things are opening back up, but it's still kind of a, an iffy situation, especially anybody who's in that 65 or older you know, age range has to be particularly careful. And so I just thought I would talk about some of the things that we're doing to seize the day, carpe diem for Christ, to seize the moment, and in this case take the disruption, the interruption, and hopefully, prayerfully turn it into an eruption. Now, let me just ask this. Um, uh, do you think it's time that we can share about the eruption? Uh, I think we may have mentioned it last week but the testimony of Dr. Joseph and Dr. Elizabeth Moculus. Yeah, absolutely, and, and we do have that, yeah, up on the front page of apologetics.org as well. Yes, yes, yes. That's, uh, that's one, one of the most important, I think, ministry breakthroughs we've had in our 32 years, and that is we have just uploaded what is, a, I think, one of the most amazing testimonies, one of the most shocking one of the most edifying, exhilarating testimonies I have ever heard in my entire life. Wow. And that is the, the medical doctor who has faithfully served uh, there uh, first in the Air Force and then later in Alabama. Uh, he's in a major medical uh, unit there. And so Dr. Moculus Joseph and his wife Elizabeth, who is also uh, a medical doctor, she specializes in infectious diseases. But the two of them uh, have become active in the Discovery Institute. Well, the breakthrough, the, you might say, interruption that happened in, in his life happened rather suddenly in a series of consecutive nights as he, uh, having put off endlessly the reading of a book his wife had placed carefully on his nightstand, his little table with uh, maybe a drawer, you know, you can 
ready to go to bed. You just, you know, you tuck away uh, the things that you've been doing on the day on your dresser and you get ready. And then you just see what's on my nightstand that I can read. Well, his wife had put something that had impacted her. And that's Michael Denton's book, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. And that book, as you know, uh, Nick, is the igniting point. It was the original A-bomb that exploded across the world in the middle and latter part of the 1980s. It was the first time a non-Christian, in this case an agnostic professor of molecular biology, a geneticist, who also had a medical degree, originally from England. He was writing the book at a university in, in um, Toronto, but when he published it, he was already in Australia. But uh, Dr. Michael Denton, who again, with no religious faith, he kind of scoffed at the idea of Genesis, said that Darwin's theory was in such deep, dangerous uh, condition because the empirical evidence was absolutely um, between weak and non-existent. He said micro, minor, minor changes, no one has an issue with that. Microevolution, it's no big deal. But the whole theory is resting not on micro, but macro. They claim that anything can change to produce new forms of life, uh, all the way from you know bugs and, and insects uh, in various branches to T. rex and other um, fearful dinosaur species. And then you have the beautiful uh, first cousin species that we have here in the uh, branch that we call the class mammalia. And, of course, all the way up to primates, including human species, Homo sapiens. And so the whole idea that was coming out at that point from Michael Denton was so powerful. Elizabeth read it. She was blown away. But he was an atheist. He was playing the Christian game. He was just kind of, you know, shadow boxing, as it were, uh, just going with his kids to church. He didn't want them to miss out on the possibility of God's existence. But he was sure that, based on his study of science, there was no creation, there was no God. And then, having put it away and put it away, put it away again, he finally started reading this amazing book, Evolution of Theory and Crisis, which, by the way, just came out in a new edition three years ago, entitled Evolution Still a Theory and Crisis. Now, is that not humorous? I think that's wonderful. Yeah, but absolutely. anyway, he, he was reading the original edition. And as he finished it, he said, my whole edifice of confident belief in Darwin's macro theory is gone. It was rubble. And so uh, when I originally interviewed him and his wife, as they just told their story and told about what God did after that to rebuild his worldview in the area of truth, biblical but also scientific truth that he had completely ignored, the powerful evidence for creation powerful evidence for intelligent design. It was just staggering to me what he had done, what God had done to reveal himself, the interruption that became then an eruption, because ever since then, Dr. Joseph Munculus has served faithfully as a careful teacher of the evidence and one who has supported projects uh, like that, you know, through Discovery Institute. And so I just thought, you know, we need to put this out on the YouTube Vimeo platform, and right now, it's on both. Right now, it's visible, right there at apologetics.org, with a series of nine beautiful pictures that were supplied 
by Joseph and Elizabeth of themselves with their family. You can see some scenes in the Boy Scout troop um, camping, and they were, you know, at a football game and just other fun pictures. But we kept coming back to the family shot of the two doctors, the husband, wife, and their two uh, grown children. And then we also brought in pictures, a little little pic of me at the beginning, but pictures of Dr. Denton and his book. We circulated those in. So you can actually see pictures as you're hearing this 18-minute testimony. So I think uh, I should give 25 bonus points for anyone who watches that and lets us know, hey, enjoyed it. And then we can maybe we can send them a little um, DVD gift uh, as our way of saying thank you for sending us to information at apologetics.org. So listen to that or watch that. Watch and listen to that at apologetics.org. And then you can just reach out to us at our web web address, information, spell out the whole word, at apologetics.org. Now, as we're entering this kind of summer season, we want to mention that we still are going to continue to post. We're going to seize this interruption, this disruption, by uh, building on our two or three times a week eruptions of truth at the C.S. Lewis Society uh, webpage, which is actually our Facebook page, I should say. And so those will continue for the next month. I'll be doing one of those. So I'll put you on the spot, Nick. Would you consider writing one or two of these nuggets, these God facts, for our C.S. Lewis Society Facebook page? I would love to. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> Sweet. When do I start? <laughs> yes, yes. So I, you and I will put our heads together and discuss that. We just put up another... Uh, really, it was a fun one for me to write that I was able to uh, add to the the DNA. You know, we have that beautiful picture of a little, not a baby, I'd say a juvenile chimpanzee uh, smiling at the camera. So we have that on our C.S. Lewis Society Facebook page. And then we, we, we basically discussed, you know, did you know that the discoveries in DNA are shredding? I mean, they're ripping apart this theory that, um, you know, you can prove a close relationship, genetic relationship with chimps through studying the DNA, that it's like 99% the same. Well, that whole argument, that whole line of discussion has been completely ripped apart, I, I would say, through recent discoveries. And so, but in addition to the chimp DNA article, we've added another one, which brings out the sophisticated packing, three-dimensional packing arrangement of the chromosomes inside our DNA. And so that whole packing relationship is seen there uh, as, you know, conversing, chatting, uh, kissing, even DNA chromosome bundles, uh, you know, those huge islands of about 60 to 80 million digital letters all clumped together, beautifully packed away. But as they snuggle together inside the nucleus, we see that the DNA is actually chatting, they're conversing, they're chemical signals, messages going back and forth between two separate whole islands of DNA. And this is not just by chance, it's designed that way. So what it does, in addition to the hard drive of, D the, hard drive of the DNA content, we're seeing that there is an amazing additional layer, the additional layer of DNA arranging or chromosome packing and so these conversations it's called kissing chromosomes in one of the articles we quoted 
this amazing phenomenon, which has just made known in the last few years, is featured right there on our C.S. Lewis Society Facebook page. And of course, as we have just a few moments left, I want to mention that, that our number one purpose is to make known the good news that Christ is who he claimed to be, the God-man who came, laid down his life for you and me, and rose again, appearing to an incredible number of eyewitnesses. And we, today, are yet witnesses of his amazing eternal life. Thank you so much for listening to The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.